Good job. <laughs> well, amen, Miss Clara. I didn't know you had it in you, but you sure do. Well, I'll tell you what, I love it when our kids get up here and sing and play the piano and so forth. And, you know, if, if you ever want to sing or something like that, you let Tim know and we'll try to plan to have you up here and do that, okay? That's sort of an open invitation, all right? Um, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Let's turn there in our Bibles this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor God in reading His Word this morning. Matthew chapter 10. We'll begin reading at verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Through the end of the chapter. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 23. When they persecute, in one, persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Verse 26. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 34. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet's receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple truly I say to you he will by no means lose his reward let's pray together again I thank you father for your word we know it's by grace that we even have access to your word and can meet here freely to have the word preached to us. We ask now that you would be 
again, so gracious to us to help us understand your word, to stir our hearts by your word and tell us about who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Well, here on this Mother's Day, I do want to ask one question to moms here at the beginning. Moms, I could ask dads the same question. What is it that you want for your children? What are the, what are the dreams and plans that you have for your children? And I imagine that many things would come to mind for any mom. You know, you, moms are concerned that, that their children have a certain skill set so they can be ready to leave home one day and be able to survive, be able to cook. You know, when I, when I left home and joined the Army, I was a single guy for several years before I met my wife, you know, I didn't know much about how to cook. My mom had helped me enough where I learned how to fry bacon a little bit. Uh, every once in a while I had to throw away some pots and pans when they started stinking so much because I didn't, I didn't necessarily learn much about washing dishes. But, uh, but anyway, you want them to have a skill set so they can survive, and you want them to be safe, of course. That's what you envision for your children. You want financial stability for your children. You want to be able to have a job and be able to take care of themselves, take care of their family. All these things, those are good things in and of themselves. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What is it that God wants? What is it that Jesus wants for his children, his little children, his disciples? If you look in verse 42, look at your Bible, notice how the affection that Jesus uses when he talks about those who are following him, his disciples. Look at verse 42. He says, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he'll by no means lose his power. So Jesus is talking about who in verse 42? Disciples. And he says they are his little ones, his little children. And what is it? So what is it? that He doesn't call everybody his little children. Listen, God created everybody, but not everybody's a child of God. You've got to be born again. So what is it? that God desires, that Jesus desires for his little ones, for his children. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Look back with me in verse 5. It says in verse 5, Jesus sent out the 12. That's those disciples, right? That's those little ones. That's his little children. Jesus sent them out instructing them. So here's his instructions. And notice what he says in his instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what he wants them to do, he says, I'm sending you out. Just like a parent would send our kids out to leave home one day. They want them to be prepared. They got this vision for them. And what, he, what his vision for them to do is to do what in verse 7? To proclaim the gospel, to go and make disciples. And look at verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Is he concerned about financial stability? He doesn't say anything about that. That's not a bad thing to be concerned about that, right, folks? We should be concerned about that for our children. But there's something that he's more concerned than financial stability for his children, his little ones, when he sends them out. Something more important. Something has greater priority than that. Look at verse 9. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the labor deserves his food. You just need to trust God to provide. Be responsible, but trust the Lord to provide. His primary responsibility is they be sent out to be on mission for him to make disciples of Jesus to proclaim the gospel. That's his vision for his little ones. 
And he uses this term again as a, as a term of affection for his disciples. They are my little ones. These are my little children. He loves them. And, and, and look at what he says in verse 16. Remember these little children that he loves? Look at what he's doing. Look at verse 16 in your Bible. Behold, I'm sending you out, my little ones. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What? These are his little ones? These are his little children? But he's going to send them out knowing that they'll be like sheep in the midst of wolves? Here's something I want you to remember this morning as we think about the context of this big, long passage of Scripture. Jesus loves his little ones. He loves his disciples. He loves his true pilgrims. He loves his followers. Jesus loves his little ones. So, he sends them out to expend their lives making disciples for the glory of God. You get that? That's his vision. He loves them. So he sends them out like sheep among wolves to expend their lives to make disciples for the glory of God. Is that our vision for what we have for discipling children within our church, children within our families, discipling one another? Did you get that phrase, expend their lives, in that statement I made? Expend, to spend their lives making disciples, to lay down their lives, to live their lives sacrificially. This is what we've been teaching our little ones on Wednesday nights in the Pilgrim's Progress study the past six weeks. I don't know if you've ever read that old book by John Bunyan or not, but it's a wonderful allegory of the Christian life. And one of the things that hopefully these kids have learned on Wednesday nights is this. The Christian life following Jesus is not a walk in the park. It's not easy. It's hard. There's a lot of things that the main character, Christian, encounters after he leaves his hometown called the City of Destruction and begins to journey along. He meets a Christian friend named Faithful, and Faithful is martyred along the way. But Christian keeps heading toward the celestial city anyway. And so what the kids have been learning on Wednesday nights that we've been studying the Pilgrim's Progress is, is really what's reflected in the main point of the passage of Scripture we're looking at. Jesus' little children, his true pilgrims, remember... And I'm using the word true intentionally. Because along the way, as Christian left the city of destruction, he met a lot of people that pretended to be pilgrims. Some were heading back because they didn't believe anymore that the celestial city, heaven, was really real. And they never were pilgrims to begin with. Jesus' little children, his true pilgrims, his true followers of Jesus will suffer just like Jesus. That's the main point of this passage of Scripture. Jesus' little children will suffer just like Jesus. Look at verse 24. You looking in your Bible? Listen to it. A disciple is not above his teacher. You hear that? You see it? Nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is a term we think means like the prince of demons. That's how they would refer to Jesus, some of the people that didn't like Jesus. Listen, how much more will they malign those of his household? If they've called Jesus the prince of demons and blasphemed him that way, then how, how's it going to be for those of his household? How's it going to be for his little children that follow him? You think they're going to treat you even any better? Jesus' little children will suffer just like Jesus. Three things about that real quick. We should expect it. 
Look at your Bible there. If you look at your Bible and you notice what it says in verse 8, verse 17, look at it. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Now look back in verse 16. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So one of the things when he says, so be wise as serpents as innocent as doves, as I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, what he's saying is you need to expect this. You need to be wise and you need to be innocent as doves. Wise as serpents, you need to be expecting to suffer if you're going to follow me. If you're my true disciple, if you're going to go on mission and expend your lives, you need to expect that you're going to suffer and don't, buy, don't be naive about it. Sometimes I get emails from the Voice of Martyrs ministry, those of you who heard about that ministry. And the Voice of Martyrs ministry sends out these emails to let us know that what we're experiencing here is not normal. I've said that many times. Coming here to this church sitting on padded pews with the air conditioner on and lights on and not being threatened by coming somebody coming in and burning the church down, that's not the normal church experience. And it won't always be that way in America. But in most places in the world where Jesus is named and people are seeking to worship Jesus, there's a persecution that they're experiencing that we don't quite get. So we've read about persecution in Nigeria recently. Some of you have heard about that. And this week I received this email about this young lady named Joy Donlami who lives in the Naswara state of Nigeria. And I have no idea if I pronounced that right, but that's pretty good for a boy from East Tennessee, ain't that right, brother? So the Fulani Islamic militants attacked this young 19-year-old girl. Her, her and her brother and sister, her siblings, were on their way back home from having been somewhere. And her brother, her sisters, her siblings escaped with gunshot wounds and machete wounds. I mean, these people were trying to kill them. But they got a hold of 19-year-old Joy Delani, and they raped her, and they killed her. Then the Fulani militants went to her village, and they burnt down 17 homes and burnt down two churches. Those are the type of things we should expect to happen. We don't want to happen. But those are the type of things we should expect to happen. We will experience it. Notice again what your Bible says in verse 17. Beware of men for they will, deli they will deliver you over. Will is a certainty. You see that? In fact, there are five times in these verses you're going to see the word will used in this context with this certainty. Notice in verse 17. Beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts. Verse 18. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Verse 19 doesn't say if, but what's it say? What's the first word of verse 19? You're looking at your Bible? When. When they deliver you over. Do not be anxious what you're going to say. Verse 21. Brother, will deliver brother over to death, verse 21. In verse 22, and you will be hated for all but my name's sake, verse, middle of verse 21, and children will rise against their parents to put them to death. These things will happen, not if, but when. These are going to happen. So we should expect it, and we will experience it in some way, in some degree. Yet God will be with us. Look at your Bible in verse 19. Look at your Bible in verse 19. When they deliver you over, what's it say in verse 19? Do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given over to you, but will be given to you in that hour. It's not you who speak, the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So even though you're delivered over, you can be assured, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that God's right there in the fire with you. 
And so he says, I'm going I'm to give you the words to say. You don't have to prepare beforehand. Now, if you're going to preach a sermon or study a Sunday school lesson, then yeah, you need to prepare beforehand. So don't rip these out of context and say, well, I don't have to study uh, if I'm going to teach my lesson or if I'm going to preach that sermon. Hogwash, right? The Holy Spirit needs to lead you in your study, right? Just as much as he does in the pulpit or, or in your Sunday school room. But listen, what he's saying, if you're about to be persecuted, and you don't know what you're going to say. You're having a loss for words. You're frightened, sort of like Martin Luther during the Reformation, about to stand before these, these people to, to defend his understanding of justification by faith alone. And you just, you, just, you just pray and you trust that the Father's going to speak through you in that time. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say, whether that's standing in front of a tribunal or that's standing in front of somebody that's lost that you're intimidated by but you need to share the gospel with who could hurt you. We will experience, but God will be with us. Amen? That's what you see in those verses. Though sometimes we will experience it from those we love. Look with me in your Bible in verse 21. Brother, you see verse 21? Brother or deliver brother over to death. And the father is child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Another lady I heard about this week is in Uzbekistan. She's 70 years old. Shokita Musalam is her name. She's a convert to Christianity about 20 years ago. She's been trying her and her husband to walk with Jesus. But recently her Muslim children who've been beating her over these past 20 years, they've harassed her. Her own children have beat her and harassed her and her husband for the past 20 years. And so recently they took their 70-year-old mother and had her locked away in a, in a psychiatric hospital where she was forced to have injections into her body. And now she's been released from it. She was there for six weeks, but she's recovering from all the side effects of all these injections where they were doing all these things to her. Her own children did that to her. Those things will happen. You, you need to expect it, and you will experience it if you're a true follower of Jesus in some way. We, will, we should expect it and we, should, we will experience it. And brothers and sisters, we must endure it. We must endure it. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, And you will be hated for all, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What's that mean? What's the end? The end of your life. The one who says, you know what? I'm staying with Jesus no matter what. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to keep... Being on mission, I'm ready to expend my life for the name of Jesus to the end. Either to, to the end of my life or, verse 23, to when Jesus comes back. Verse 23 is a hard verse. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. So when we say you must endure, it doesn't mean you have to stand right where you're at and say, well, go ahead and kill me. I just dare you. No, he says, if they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. But when you flee to the next... You keep proclaiming gospel, the gospel in all those towns till Jesus comes. You just keep preaching the gospel. You don't flee and then shut up. You, you, you flee and you keep on speaking the name of Jesus, just like they did in Acts chapter 4 that the high school class has been going through with Dr. Fowler, right? Acts chapter 4, what's it say? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And that's how the church grew because God's sovereign. And sometimes that's how God grows a church God help us, maybe, maybe what we need is a little persecution so that the kingdom of God might expand for the glory of God. I'm not praying for that and not wishing that. But sometimes that's how God grows his church. So 
let me, let me summarize up before I go into some points of application real quick. Jesus' little children, he loves them. So he's sending them out to expend their lives to make disciples for the glory of God. And that's for their joy. But they're going to suffer just like Jesus. And they should expect it. They're going to experience it. And they must endure it. They must endure it. So let me go back to my original question about our vision for discipling one another, for discipling your children in your home, discipling children in our church. What's our vision for them? Let me say this to you, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whoever this morning, whatever context, we should never be content to say of our little children, whether that means they're 45 years old or five years old, we should never be content to say of our little children, I'm glad they got that done. What I mean is, pray to prayer salvation or got baptized. We should never say to ourselves, well, look at how they're living. I know they're not living for Jesus. I know they're not in church. But I sure am glad they got that done. What was that? You don't just get it done and move on. If something happens inside of you, just like little Clara saying just now, it changes you and the whole world sees it. We should never be content to say, I'm glad they got that done. That shouldn't be your vision for your children, that they've, that they've made some profession of faith or, or people that attend our church, to be content that people in our community would just go through the motions and get baptized in water, soaking wet, and their lives not be changed. That's not the vision. The vision is this. It's like Hopeful, a friend that Christian met in the, in the book Pilgrim's Progress. He met a friend named Hopeful, and along the way, they, Hopeful began to share his testimony about why he was now on his way to the celestial city, on his way to heaven to follow Jesus. And I was reading this yesterday to my kids, and it just got my heart when I was thinking about this sermon. He said this, Hopeful did in his testimony, For until this time, my heart never contemplated the beauty of Jesus Christ. Man, that's where a lot of people's at. That's where conversion is. Have your heart ever contemplated the beauty of Jesus Christ? For until this time, my heart never contemplated the beauty of Jesus Christ. But this is the effect it had on him. It made me love a holy life and long to do something for the honor and glory of the name of the Lord Jesus. Yes, I now consider that if I had a thousand gallons of blood in my body, I would willingly spill it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus. That's the vision. That's the kind of disciples we want to seek to make. Those are true disciples. Those are true pilgrims. That it changes me. God, what do you want to do? I said I said to my own four children last night, we were going through this. I said, guys, I don't want you to just to grow up and go to church because your dad's a pastor or because we've taught you this and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But I want you to be willing. If God, I said this to my kids last night, I want you to be willing if God were to ask you that you would, you would die for him. Or if mom and dad were to try to get you to do something and, and Jesus wanted you to do this, that you would put Jesus first. No matter everything in front of Jesus. Our vision is to make disciples, make, make disciples our, our, who, who would spend their lives, lay down their lives for Christ. So here's a question I want to ask you as we look at the rest of these verses and apply these. What kind of response does traveling the king's highway require? Pilgrims on the king's highway. What kind of response 
does traveling the King's Highway require? A response, and what I mean a response to all the persecution and things that we might have to endure. We will have to endure. We must endure. Number one, fear God. Fear God more than blank. Now, I left a blank there intentionally this morning because I want you to fill it in. I want you to think in application for just a few minutes before I move on. What is it that you fear? Mamas, what are some of your fears? What are some mommy fears that you have? What are some fears that you have in relation to evangelism? That's one reason people don't, we don't share the gospel like we should. We have fears. How would you fill in this blank? What is it you fear the most? What would you write down? Just take a moment and think, what would I put in this blank? And what we're being told is, when you think, when you think for a moment about what's the first thing that comes to your mind you put in that blank, what we're being told in these verses we're about to look at is we're to fear God more than we fear that. We're to fear God more than anything. Now, isn't that what the Bible says? Look at verse 26. So have no fear of them. Really, it's fear of man is the overall general category here, right? So have no fear of them. Verse 26, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be, not be known. In other words, God knows what they're going to plan to do. God knows what they're going to try to do, and God knows what they will do, but one day their day's coming. Judgment day's coming. So don't you fear them. God's going to take care of them. That's what it's talking about. Look in verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Just keep on preaching the gospel. I think that's what that means. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So what we're being told here is the worst thing that they, that they can do to you is kill you. That's the worst thing they can deal to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is for them to kill you. We're to fear God more than death. We're to fear God more than financial stability or this could happen or that can happen. We're to, we're to fear God. Why is that? What would motivate that? Because a true disciple is of much worth to Jesus. Why would we fear God more than anything? Because a true disciple, a true pilgrim, one of his little children are of much worth to him. I mean worth to God. God, ha God values his children, right? Look at verse 29 if you don't believe me. And if you do believe me, look at it anyway. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? These little sparrows they would take and offer as sacrifices if they were poor and so forth. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now, it doesn't say none of them are going to not fall to the ground. It says, but if they do fall to the ground, it won't happen. It'll not happen outside God's permission and God being there. Even if the hairs of your head are all numbered, and I know we all can't probably relate to that, but we'll move on. Even the hairs of, all your, of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You see that? Right there in your Bible. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I'll also deny before the Father who is in heaven. What, what value does God place on you? It's, it's a value much greater than, than any created thing on the face of the earth. He values human life. He, he values the image of God in you. But even more so, 
For those who are his children, we've been born again into his family. And Romans tells us, chapter 8, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of God. That he's recreating us in the image of Christ. That's the work that he's doing in us. Therefore, all things work together for those that love God or are called according to his purpose. That's what that verse means. Everything that's going on in your life, he's using it to make you more like Christ. And then he goes on and says, what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing, because you are of great value because you've been saved and born again into his, into his kingdom, into his family. So fear God more than anything. A true disciple is of much worth to Jesus. He sends them out like sheep in the midst of wolves, but the same one that sends them out is the one that lays down his life for the sheep. He that spared not his own son but delivered him over for us all, how shall he not freely with him give us all things? So we fear God more than anything, knowing that a true disciple is of much worth to Jesus. And number two, we love God more than blank. What would you put in the blank? For a lot of us, it would be family. And that's certainly the context of verses 34 through 36. Love God more than treasure. Love God more than financial success or having a good job or whatever it might be. What would you put in that blank? Love God more than what is it you really love? Jesus says this in verse 34. Do not think I've come to bring peace to earth. Now don't you find that a little bit of an odd verse? Because what do we know the angel said when Jesus was born in Luke? Fear not, for I bring you good tidings, a great joy shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It talks about peace being brought to earth. The proper translation of those verses means it's peace brought to those of good will. In other words, those who would receive the Lord Jesus, that peace is brought to them. But because not all will receive the Lord Jesus, what he says here is those who will not receive the Lord Jesus, they can't be on the same team. They can't be on the same side. It's like a civil war, brother against brother again. So he says, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. Jesus is saying something radical about himself. He's saying, I have come for your complete and total allegiance over everything. And that's what we should want for our kids. And that's what should be true about your life. That's what we would want for our neighbors. It's them to lay down their lives, give total allegiance to Jesus over everything else. Come, he says in verse 20, 35, to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Look at verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So let's, let's just stop there for just a second. There's a story in the Pilgrim's Progress about Christian as he goes along. Uh, when we first meet him in, in the opening chapter, he's leaving what's called his hometown, what's called the City of Destruction. And his wife and his kids are saying, why do you want to leave? Why do you believe this thing about this burden upon your back? Why don't you just stay here with us? And He loves his family. And we're told in the story, he wants them to come. He asked them to come. But they won't come. And so he must make a decision. Will I stay here because I love my family? Or will I go there because I love Jesus? So don't. Don't take this allegory and say, well, if I love Jesus, that means I ought to leave my family. That's not what we're talking about here, right? 
what the whole point of what Jesus is saying here is that we don't stop loving the people we love. We keep loving them, but we love Jesus more. That's, that's, that's simply what it means. We love Jesus more. We love God more than family. That may not mean as much to us in our context, but it might because some of you who professed faith in Jesus and follow the Lord in baptism, maybe you, did, you had some family members that really didn't. They weren't, they weren't real excited about that. Maybe they gave you a hard time over it. I know we met Emir a couple years ago in Bosnia, and he has nobody to celebrate his, his uh, conversion with. His uncles, his father died a few years ago. His uncles, he lives right next to a mosque, and they ask him, why don't you go to the mosque with us anymore? And he's had to put Christ in front of family, which is exactly what we're called to do. So we must love God more than family. We must love God more than anything. Why is that? What would motivate that? Because a true disciple is worthy of Jesus. A true disciple is not, not just worthy to Jesus, but worthy of Jesus, of having Jesus. Brandon Leach, when he got ready to go to Argentina from our church with Crystal and his wife, his wife and mine, and Malachi. He stood in front of our church and we commissioned him. And he talked about having about leaving and about the sacrifices of leaving family and how they would miss them and so forth. But one of the things he said when he stood here that morning is he said, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. If you look in your Bible, it says in verse 37, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. So if God wants you to go to Argentina... And you say, no, I don't want to go because of my family. But you know that the Lord wants you to go. Then guess what you're doing? You're committing idolatry at that point. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not let take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake... We'll find it. Jesus is saying radical things. There's radical Christology about here. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is making some radical claims about his lordship. That you've got to follow me as Lord. So Brandon said Jesus is worth it. And whoever would love Jesus more is worthy of Jesus because Jesus, Brandon says, is worth it. Verse 40 through 42 just very quickly says this. Whoever receives you receives what? What's the Bible say? Me, Jesus. So if you receive a messenger of Jesus, you receive the gospel, what are you receiving? You're receiving Jesus. And whoever receives me receives who? What's it say in your Bible? You receive the Father. So who, who are you receiving if you receive these messengers of the gospel? You receive the gospel. You're receiving God. You get God. You're worthy of God, a sinner, a rebel, who, who without his grace would still be rebelling, but you're worthy of him if by grace you receive Christ, the message of the gospel through his apostles, through his disciples. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his 
reward. Reward's used three times in that verse, in those verses. Jesus is the reward, folks. He's the reward. That's what Brandon was communicating. And he says, Jesus is worth it. This is the big question when it comes to making disciples and whether or not you're even a true disciple of the Lord Jesus. I want to ask you a question, and I hope you're listening. Here's the big question. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? You need to be able to answer that question. You may have had some emotional experience with Jesus or some emotional attachment to Jesus. You may be blessed with some spiritual legacy that's been handed down to you about Jesus through your mom or your grandmother or your aunt. Praise the Lord for that. You might enjoy being a fan of Jesus and singing songs about Jesus and saying, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And get all excited about that. But if you can't answer this question, is Jesus worth everything? I mean, if he says to do this, and I've got all these plans, but I'm convinced he says he's saying no to that, he's saying no, I've got to break off that relationship and go that way, is he worth it? Is he worth it if you're on this career path, but you know he's calling you somewhere else? Is it worth it to turn around and go that way? If he's telling you to talk to your neighbor about Christ, and you're out of fear, you you just say, I'm not going to do that. Is he worth it? If you can't answer that question, is Jesus worth it? But you got you got this emotional attachment, you've got this experience, you've got this, you know, kind of cheerleading mentality about Jesus. You really like everything about the, the, the fun fun side of Christianity. But if you can't answer the question that he positively, yes, he is worth everything, you got nothing. You got zilch. You got a big zero. All you got with some feeling, with some warm fuzzy. But you don't have Jesus. And that burdens my heart more than anything as a pastor. My prayer to God, if you're sitting in this room right now, you're hearing this sermon, that you cannot be comfortable if you're not a true believer. You say, worthy of what? The kind of suffering we see back in verse 17 through 25, persecution, being flogged, being drugged before governors and princes, fleeing from one town to the next, being disowned by your family. That's what we're talking about. Is he worth that? He's worth everything. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's what conversion is like. As you, as you like Hopeful said in his testimony, the, the beauty of Christ had never been to you before that way before, but now you see his beauty and you're willing to say, yes, everything. Everything, take it all, whatever you want to do. You're worth it. And Folks, that's why we gather here today. Because we are so blessed to be a part of a church family, aren't we? That we agree he is worth it. We're we're battling with it with our flesh during the week. We're 
we're, we're, we're battling with temptation. We got doubts that sometimes come to our minds. But we meet on Sundays and gather around Sunday school classes, go to small groups during the week and hear this old guy yelling and preaching. And we sing songs together about Christ because we got to be encouraged and exhorted to keep on enduring to the end. And we will if, we, if we're true believers because Jesus is worth it. So we gather on Sundays to say, this is true. My, my, my mind's telling me something else, maybe, or my, or my heart even is, but, but I'm coming now and maybe I'm reminded right now, yes, well, I went through a lot of bad stuff last week or stuff that I prayed about and it's still here, but, but I'm with my church family now. Yes, he is worth it. I'm gonna keep going the next week by his grace, pray for me, but he's worth it. So we gladly say to our mothers today, happy Mother's Day, right? We also acknowledge it's not a happy day for everyone, as I mentioned earlier. It's not, this is not a happy mother whose children are wayward day, is it? There's no happy infertility day. There's no happy to be single or happy to not have children day. There's no happy mother whose husband divorced her or abuses her or is being a jerk to her day, is there? There's no happy my mother left our family day. And there's no happy my mother's no longer living day. So we gather as Jesus' little children today, true disciples, pilgrims of this world, every Sunday, no matter what our circumstances are, because this is the Lord's day, amen? And on the Lord's day, we remember that he's risen and he reigns as king and everything around us may change in relation to motherhood or being a mother or family or whatever, but he's not leaving his throne till the trumpet sounds and he's coming to take us home, amen? So when we gather to encourage one another to endure all things and to say with tears even in our eyes and broken hearts and maybe no money in the bank and we may not get the promotion at work, because my boss doesn't like me because I'm a Christian, but we still gather today and we say, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better. You bow your heads with me in prayer right now. As your heads are bowed and eyes closed, I, I would plead with you this morning, as I've tried to already, Turn to Jesus Christ. Don't keep playing the church game. Don't play around being religious and checking off certain boxes. Have you seen the beauty of Jesus Christ, the ugliness of your sin? Have you turned to him in your heart? Have you come to the place in your life where you say, Jesus is worth everything and no matter what he says, I want to do it. We'd love to talk with you about how God's at work in your heart. Maybe during this song we're singing here, you could come and have more time and probably better quality time. If afterwards you sought one of us out, sought me out, I'll be standing at the back doors and love to talk with you about that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. and God, I thank you that you've been so gracious to work in dead sinners, blinded hearts like mine and many here where we went from being rebels, dead in sin, no spiritual capacity at all. And now, 
now we want to follow you. Now we love you. Now we can't imagine not walking with you even though we battle it. Oh God, you've been gracious to save us and we praise you for being our Savior this morning. Forgive us, Lord, when we, when we for neglect so great a salvation, when, we, when our lives say opposite of what we profess on Sunday. Help us, God, in this battle. Lord, I pray that whatever you're telling believers to be doing, Lord, that they'd be doing it. That there'd be repentance this morning. Father, I pray for families that are here. We're blessed with so many families that are trying to do their best to, to raise their children and make disciples in the home. And it is not easy. And the devil is against it and the world ain't no help. But Father, I pray that you'd help them encourage them this morning. That Jesus is worth it. And this disciple making of their children is worth it. And ministry leaders that are tired this morning and not seeing the fruit they'd like to see and are tempted to do more pragmatic things to get people to make professions of faith or to join their club or their group or their class. Lord, let them be reminded that we need to make true disciples. Jesus is worth every, every sweat and every, every anxiety. And Lord, I pray for the unbeliever that's here, God, that you'd show them. Oh, God, show them like you did the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. God, show them that Jesus is the king for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand this morning and sing together this great song. You come and you can come and pray if you want to and I'll pray with you as we're singing. But you come if God's speaking to you this morning. Let's praise the Lord together. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life, 
At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.